As Gino mentioned, we're uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to look at verses 4 through 11 tonight. In the blockbuster movie Signs, Joaquin Phoenix's character is a former minor league ball player. He holds the record for home runs, and if I'm remembering correctly, for the longest home run. When asked why with all that talent he isn't in the majors, a bystander who grew up with him says it's because he holds another record too for the most strikeouts, to which he comments, it just felt wrong not to swing. Now, the believers in Corinth were, in a sense, swinging for the spiritual fence in their use and abuse of the gift of tongues. In their services, everyone spoke in tongues simultaneously with no attempt to interpret. Tongues was their version of the home run. It was their spiritual home run. Paul's going to tell them that they were striking out, spiritually speaking. And he begins his argument here in verses 4 through 11. While there is much to learn here, the main thrust, Paul's main point, is that God the Holy Spirit has provided a variety of gifts to be exercised and manifested within the church and that this diversity is far more spiritual than focusing on any one particular gift and its manifestation. And so we begin in verses four through six where we read, there are diversities of gifts but the same spirit. There are uh, differences of ministries but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities but it is the same God who works all in all. You can't help but see Paul referring to God as three in one, as a trinity of spirit in verse four, son in verse five, and father in verse six. He doesn't explain it. Who can? He simply declares it. With regard to spiritual gifts, here's how Paul sees each person of the Godhead. The Holy Spirit is especially associated with diversities of gifts, perhaps because we're later told he is the person in the Godhead who distributes individual gifts to believers. Jesus is associated with differences of ministries, which is an emphasis on the servant aspect of the gifts, the use of the gifts to serve. And the Father is associated with diversities of activities, which can be translated the effectual working, emphasizing that the Father has a plan in the manifesting of the gifts to accomplish his purposes both in the church and in individual Christians. And so we might say that the Holy Spirit gives out various gifts in order for us to serve others in a Christ-like manner and thereby build up the church and one another according to the plan of God the Father. To concentrate on and emphasize one gift above any other therefore doesn't make sense. There should be a variety, there should be a diversity if God is truly working. The Corinthian emphasis on tongues was simply not what God intended. And so verse 7, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. When a gift of the Holy Spirit is exercised, we can say it is a manifestation of the Spirit. By it, he shows his supernatural presence in the assembly of believers. His gift or gifts are given to each one. We take that to mean that every believer is gifted in some manner, or as some like to say, every believer has at least one spiritual gift, if not more than one. Now, Christians can stress over discovering their gift or gifts, uh, especially young Christians, because they want to get, and and that's exciting, because they want to get right into serving the Lord. I don't have a problem with that. 
Um, there are even spiritual gift questionnaires that attempt to help you to discover your gift or gifts. Ever take a spiritual gift? Come on, you can admit it. I've done it. And, and my favorite question on the spiritual gift questionnaire, you've heard me say this before, but it's my favorite question is, have you ever spoken in an unknown language? And then the conclusion at the end it's rocket science, really, is that you may have the gift of speaking in tongues. But um, I'm not a big fan of spiritual gifts questionnaires. There's nothing wrong with it. Uh, but the, the best way I, I found, and I believe, the best way to discover your gift or gifts is to simply be a part of a local fellowship of believers and to assemble together with them. As you do, God the Holy Spirit is going to prompt you to minister to others, to serve others, if you prefer that word, in certain ways. He'll manifest his supernatural presence in the assembly of believers through you, as you do. And over time, you'll see that he has given you a particular gift or gifts, or you will see that the way he uses you can be described loosely by one of the gifts listed somewhere in the scripture. And so it's, it's more a discovery through serving, I believe, than a discovery of the gift and then serving. Does that make sense? Just serve others, just be around others, just love others. Uh, and minister to them as you feel prompted. Don't think everybody has to be prompted the same way. This is a problem, in, I believe, in the church today, that everybody has a, a, a burden, uh, or not everybody, someone has a burden for something, and they don't understand why everyone doesn't have that same burden, doesn't see that same need, doesn't want to accomplish the same purpose. And, and so just do what God tells you to do. Uh, and over time, you will discover that that uh, is your gift or gifts, and that's how he has gifted you. Now, bear in mind, of course, if it's a gift, it doesn't involve natural talent or abilities or personality. It's common to think, for example, that a successful business person has gifts of leadership and administration, but quite often that's just not the case, or there's no real correlation, there's no necessary correlation. I could be good in business, I could be a successful uh, uh, leader of a business uh, or, or a supervisor or something like that, that may not translate into the church. What I may have is a worldly charisma, the world's wisdom, and that can actually hinder the work of the ministry by substituting natural ideas for supernatural leading. You, you can be a, uh, you know, a, a businessman who also has a gift of administration and things like that, but we need to quit thinking in terms of natural talent or ability. Um, it, it, and God, now, God wants to use your talents. He wants to use your abilities. That, that's why we get confused. But when we're talking about gifts of the Spirit, um, we're not bringing anything to the table. We can improve on our, maybe you have the gift of teaching or maybe you have a gift of, uh, for exhortation. You don't have to be a jerk about it. Uh, you can you know, learn how to, how to do these better with more success, but it comes from the Lord and it's not something that you're going to be able to do. And so just watch out for that. In your own life, don't think because you're able to do something that that is necessarily a spiritual gift or that God's going to use you that way. Have that borne out over time. Now, there are lists of gifts here in 1 Corinthians 12. There's a list. We're going to see some of them tonight and others later on. There's gifts in Romans chapter 12 and there's gifts in Ephesians chapter 4. I don't think those lists are exhaustive. We need to see that the Holy Spirit isn't bound by our definitions and understandings of the gifts as if there are only nine or there are 15 or there are 21. 
which only always operate a certain way or at certain times. Uh, we, we have to be a little bit more, um, in a biblical sense, open-minded about the Holy Spirit wanting to minister to people. However many there are, the gifts, he says, are for the profit of all. Again, I must stress a lot of what Paul is doing in chapters 12 and 13 is laying the groundwork for a massive correction that he's going to deliver in chapter 14. He's, he's throwing things out to give them a doctrinal basis, a logical basis, a spiritual basis, a scriptural basis for how he's going to address the errors in their exercise of the gift of tongues, especially in chapter 14. All of them speaking simultaneously in tongues with no interpretation was not for the profit of all. In fact, he will say that a person speaking in tongues publicly with no interpretation can only profit himself or herself. Warren Wiersbe has a clever way of putting into perspective what Paul is saying about profiting others. He likes to say the gifts are tools to build with, not toys to play with. That's kind of an interesting perspective. Partial list of gifts follows. It's not meant to be exhaustive, as I mentioned, and it doesn't really seem to be organized in any discernible manner. Over the years, I've organized the gifts into certain categories, and um, I'm kind of getting away from that. Uh, Paul just throws out some gifts here uh, because his point is there's a lot of gifts with a lot of diversity, uh, and that's what he's getting at. And so he does give us a list here, a partial list. Um, these are some of the ways the Spirit could and should be manifested, and he includes tongues, but it's certainly not exclusive the way it was in Corinth. So uh, as we'll see in chapter 14, and I want to belabor it, but when you, go, when you went to a, ch a service, a worship service in Corinth, you could be sure that there were going to be a massive amount of simultaneous tongue speaking going on. That was what they were known for. And I mean, if you were in the marketplace, you know, and you ran into somebody and said, have you heard what's going on at the church at Corinth? When they get together, they say, yeah, everybody's speaking in unknown languages all the time uh, and, and interrupting each other and over each other. And there's no, you know, and, and the non-believers and, and the young believers are saying, and those people are crazy. And so Paul is saying, hey, here's some other ways that the Holy Spirit wants to manifest himself. Tongues may be a part of that, but it's certainly not the major part of it. And so he says in verse eight, for to one is given the word of wisdom, through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. Now you'll notice Paul does not define any of these gifts for us. We have to do that for ourselves by seeing them exercised in the New Testament by either Jesus or his followers. And so let me just give you a quick working definition of the gifts that are listed here. Uh, Paul evidently uh, thought that his readers, or his listeners at Corinth knew what these gifts were. They just were ignoring them, not exercising them. And so he doesn't bother to define them, but we, we wanna give a little bit of a definition here. A word of knowledge is a supernatural revelation by the Holy Spirit of certain facts that you do not know. It's just all of a sudden you know something that you didn't know a moment prior to that, and you don't know it by investigation, you know it by revelation. As an example, 
We'd cite Peter's knowing that Ananias and Sapphira were lying about the sale of their property and the subsequent amount of the gift that they gave to the church. Uh, they came, you remember the story in the book of Acts, I don't want to go too deep into all these illustrations, but uh, they, they saw Barnabas get accolades because he sold a property and gave the entire proceeds to the church, so they decided to sell some property and give part of it to the church and keep some of it for themselves and say that they sold it all. Well, the Holy Spirit revealed this to Peter supernaturally through a word of knowledge, and um, he uh, let them lie to the Holy Spirit, and then he said, you're busted, and then the Holy Spirit, one at a time, killed them. Word of knowledge, powerful gift. Uh, so anyway, that's the word of knowledge. Not everybody dies, by the way, at the end of the word of knowledge, but... So people, you know, if you ever you have fun with people, say, well, I'd love to have the word of knowledge. I said, you'd be like a Christian executioner. The word of wisdom is an unprepared, inspired word from God given by the Holy Spirit spontaneously to meet a particular crisis situation or to answer some question that is directed at you. As an example, we could cite any of Jesus' amazing answers to really impossible questions like, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? Oh, we've got him now. And Jesus said, well, let me see a coin. Whose face is on the coin, Caesar's? Then render to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. Yeah. That's an exercise of the word of wisdom. Uh, prophecy in its simplest form is a supernaturally inspired utterance conveying what is on the heart and mind of God. Its purpose we'll read in 1 Corinthians 14 is to edify, to exhort, and to comfort. Edification means that prophecy will build up those that hear it. Exhortation means it encourages to urge you on, to stir you up to love. And comfort means to console. While there are examples of future prophecies in the book of Acts, such as Agabus telling Paul he'd be bound if he went to Jerusalem, the more normal use of the gift in the church is speaking forth God's word. Since we have the completed word of God, a valuable exercise of prophecy is to share portions of scripture that God puts on your heart. Dreams and visions subject to being judged for their character and content would also be manifestations of the gift of prophecy. Essentially, it's a, uh, a spontaneous message from God about something that he wants you to concentrate upon. Gift of faith refers to a supernatural conviction that God is going to reveal his power or mercy in a special way in a specific instance. You just know that the thing desired will come to pass because it is a gift of faith that comes directly from God, not your experience or spiritual maturity or wishful thinking. George Mueller stands out in Christian history as a man with the gift of faith. Just Google George Mueller and you'll see his many spiritual accomplishments. Uh, just, uh, you know, simply uh, believing that God was going to do certain things, but we would say with the gift of faith. I mean, people read about George Mueller and they think, well, my faith is nothing compared to that. Well, he had a gift of faith. He, he just knew what God was going to do. Healings can take place in a variety of ways. Uh, we know in the scripture that the individual can pray for himself to be healed. Uh, you can have the elders pray for you. You can pray for each other in the body of Christ. And also healings take place as a gift that is given by God and can occur without anything being asked or accomplished by others. It's by God's sheer grace and generosity that he may choose to heal and no one can lay claim to the reasons why the healing took place but God. 
The thing to notice here about uh, what is said is that the text calls these gifts of healings in the plural, which is a little bit different uh, from the other gifts that he's mentioning. And that teaches us each manifestation of healing is a unique gift. No one has the gift of healing in the sense that they can go around healing at will. This is a common but not valid criticism that cessationists use. They say, well, if, if there was a gift of healing, why aren't you down at Adventist Health just as people come in just healing them? Because no one has the gift of healing. God dispenses gifts of healings as he sees fit. Now, he may use certain individuals in that manner more than others. Uh, and so it would be proper, I think, to say that there's a person who has gifts of healings. But we have to understand that when you go to them, that doesn't mean you're going to be healed. It's still up to God. Uh, and it doesn't mean that we can't pray for people to be healed either. It's just We just want to be careful about that. If you're going to criticize spiritual gifts, do it the right way. And so uh, no one is claiming that anyone is able to heal 100% of the time. Working of miracles, also in the plural. It is asking God to do something that supersedes the natural laws we know in order to meet a need and glorify God. Now, we see many healings, many miracles performed not just by Jesus but by his followers. Now, while perhaps, and I will grant that it's true that God ordained more healings and more miracles at the time of Christ and shortly thereafter, there's no scriptural reason to say they no longer are gifts that can be manifested. We've been reading a guy, uh, and I would recommend his commentaries. His name is Gordon Fee. He's a, a, a charismatic scholar smart guy. He has this to say, and I, I like the way he puts it. He's very generous, uh, yet to the point. He says, there has been a spate of literature whose singular urgency has been to justify limiting these gifts to the first century church. It is fair to say of this literature, its authors have found what they were looking for and have thereby continued to reject such manifestations in the church can also be fairly said that such rejection is not exegetically based, but results in every case from a prior hermeneutical and theological commitment. Uh, them is a lot of large words to say these guys are not finding this in the Bible. In other words, when, when you hear, and we dealt with this in our, uh, I think our first study, when you hear a cessationist argument, when they say we believe certain gifts of the Spirit have ceased, the biblical arguments are just not there. There, there are a few texts that, that we covered that they use, but they're not really saying what they say they're saying. Uh, and then all the arguments immediately get into history and logic and this and that and mathematical arguments. You know, we don't see gifts towards the end of the book of Acts, which proves that they were, you know, failing and all that. And so what Gordon Fee who's, is saying is that there's no solid biblical passage or argument that any of the gifts have ceased. And that's just the truth that we all need to face. Now, the discerning of spirits can refer to the ability to know a false teaching when presented or the ability to know whether someone is demon-possessed or to know if someone is not what they say they are. Peter manifested the discernment of spirits, for example, when he rebuked Simon's request to purchase the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Tongues is a language given to a Christian that is unknown to him. It is prayer or praise directed to God, not to men. Its purpose is to edify and strengthen the Christian, exercise it. If it is interpreted, we'll see it absolutely can edify others. And we're going to talk a lot more about all of this in chapter 14. Uh, The interpretation of tongues he mentions here is being given the understanding of tongues spoken by someone else or yourself, even though you don't know the language. And since tongues is praise or prayer to God and not to men, a true interpretation will always be praise or prayer also. Translation is a word that can mean to put into words. And this tells us it isn't necessarily a word-for-word translation, but more like giving the sense of what was said. The example for tongues and its interpretation would be Paul's comments a little later on in Corinthians that he spoke in tongues quite a bit. And even though they were doing it wrong, the church at Corinth was definitely exercising the gift of tongues. And Paul didn't say it's a non-existent gift. He says you're just not doing it the right way. Paul listed tongues and interpretation last, perhaps to show that they were certainly not the most important and to demonstrate that they were merely part of the Holy Spirit's potential for manifesting his presence to the church. Look at it this way. If people are coming into the church, we'll talk about this in a minute again, but people are coming into the church with needs and God knows their hearts and what they need, and the Holy Spirit has all of these various gifts in his spiritual gift arsenal, it's hard to believe that what everybody needs every week all the time is to listen to everybody speaking in tongues, and that's going to really do it for you. No matter what it is, I mean, would you ever say that to somebody? Hey, no matter what it is you need, no matter what it is you're going through, no matter how deep the, the suffering that you're going through, Once you hear all of us speaking in tongues with no interpretation, you're going to be delivered. Well, that's, it just doesn't make any sense. I'm not really trying to even make fun of that. It just, on some level, it doesn't make sense. And so verse 11, it says, but one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Notice he says he works all these things, not just one or two, The meetings in Corinth had none of the rich diversity of gifts that would have truly built up the body of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit does it as he wills. When we are gathered together, he knows what each of us needs, and he can prompt another of us to exercise just the right gift at just the right time. We should, therefore, try to discern what he wills, not what we wish. Distributing to each one individually means you have a role to play in the church, a servant's role to be gifted by the Spirit to serve with the heart of Jesus to accomplish the will of the Father. None of that is going to happen if we are always swinging for the fences. And by that I mean we cannot focus on one gift over another, whether it's tongues uh, or something else. Uh, Obviously, Paul's problem is, with Corinth was their overexposure of tongues, but we could criticize other churches, uh, even up to today, for emphasizing certain gifts over other gifts. Uh, And I don't want to get into it too much right now because it'll get us off track, but certainly you could look at conservative churches, cessationist churches, not just criticizing them for saying certain gifts have ceased, but they, you know, there's only one or two gifts that ever get exercised in some of those churches. Most of the super conservative cessationist churches are only interested really in the gift of teaching. 
Now, I love that, right? I'm, I, I believe I have the gift of teaching. There's nothing I would rather do than teach God's word. But, and as important as, as that is, you can't just ignore all the other gifts in the body of Christ and say, hey, as long as we've done this, we're done. Uh, and so we want to be well-rounded, I guess, is one way we could put it. We simply must have gatherings in which believers are encouraged to participate and manifest the Holy Spirit. That doesn't mean that every meeting must include a time of participation in the gifts or that some meetings can't be spiritual without certain gifts being manifested. Those are extremes where people say, uh, you know, well, then every meeting has to be this kind of meeting or you know, if you don't, if certain things don't take place, then the Holy Spirit hasn't visited you. That's, that's not true at all. Because when we get to chapter 14, we'll see that we have a great freedom given to us by the Holy Spirit to determine what is and what is not appropriate at any given meeting at any given time. As servants, we must be seeking what is the highest and best for others who are assembled with us. That's the key. What is the highest and best for this meeting that we've established, whether it's a Sunday morning meeting or a Sunday night, a Wednesday night, a men's meeting, whatever meeting that you have, what is God's highest, best overall for this meeting? Because we, we think, I think, you could disagree with this, I think there needs to be some liturgy, there needs to be some framework uh, you know, of what we're actually going to do. We're not Quakers just saying, hey, whatever happens, happens. What happened? Nothing. Uh, you know, that's one way of approaching God to just sit and wait until God does something. Uh, but, uh, you know, so there needs to be some framework. But then within that meeting, different things can happen. But there's nothing wrong with, people, with us having uh, what people would consider a more conservative Sunday morning and a less conservative Wednesday night. There's nothing wrong with encouraging the gifts to be exercised on a Wednesday night and discouraging certain gifts on a Sunday morning based on various factors, which we think is the greater good of the greatest amount of people. And, and so, um, are we always right? No, of course not. No one ever said that. We're all struggling through this. Uh, but we want to avoid the extremes that churches get into. We, want to, we don't want to just swing for the fences with the gifts that we think are the, are, you know, are the gifts that should be being exercised. Uh, because the Bible tell, just told me there are a diversity of gifts and a variety of uh, ways that they are going to be made manifest. And it depends really on how uh, the Holy Spirit wants to prompt us to serve one another to accomplish God's purposes in each other's lives. Amen?